Hello and welcome to the DQMBA podcast. My name's Sean and joining me as always is the one and only Dante Boffer. Mr. Boffer, man, how are we? I'm so good. I'm so excited. How are you? I am splendid because uh, probably two hours ago uh, or three hours ago since before we were recording this podcast. So right now it's seven o'clock at five o'clock, 4.30, myself, my housemate and the missus went and picked up a bunny rabbit. We bought an isolation. You're joking. We bought an isolation bunny rabbit. You, you live in an apartment, Sean. Yeah, I know. Um, Where's the bunny um, rabbit going to go? So we bought, did you know that a bunny rabbit cage is called a hutch? Yeah, I did. I didn't know that. So we bought a hutch. Um, <laughs> we've set that up in the living room. It's this like... You, can, you live in a small apartment, Sean. I know. And the bunny rabbit lives in an even smaller apartment. <laughs> um, where's the hutch go? In the, in the, in the uh, apartment. So you sit on the couch, you watch the TV. Yeah. To the left of the TV is the fish. The em- so the empty spot that last week your housemate cleaned out and we were like, what's going to go there? Fucking you decided that naturally it was going to be a, a rabbit hutch. Okay, respect. Exactly. What's the rabbit's name? John. 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 Mm. I love bunny rabbits. So I love animals with human names. Um, and yeah, my housemate and I settled on John because his full name is John Snow um, because it's, <laughs> a white, it's a white bunny rabbit and we can both agree on that. But I just can't wait to tell it off for like doing the wrong thing, calling it Jonathan Snow. Like... Maybe it's John Snow. Jonathan, Jonathan Stark Snow. Yeah. What are you doing? Added, true. Um, yeah, so <laughs> a bunny rabbit called Jonathan. Huge. Huge. I'm into it. I hate my My initial reaction was I hate it, but in the, the 30 seconds since you've told me, it's grown on me. Yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, it's super cute, man. You got to come over and see it. But then again, I guess that's the whole point of an isolation bunny because. You're isolated and you can't have your friends over. So you buy a fairy thing. So the nat- yeah, the natural next progression as well. Can't see your friends, buy a bunny <laughs> rabbit. Yeah, man. I mean, it's either, I think in the last week, people have either bought bunny rabbits or Nintendo Switches with Animal Crossing. So, you know. Yeah. Animal Crossing lot. getting some big, some big buzz. The Sims as well. The Sims yeah. is going to make a lot of money. Yeah. I bought the, the, I bought the Witcher 3 Wild Hunt for $13. <laughs> Because um, I was like getting legs, man. I think it came out in twenty. Yeah, legitimately. <laughs> yeah, twenty fifteen, Sean. It had the um, it had the Netflix show as well. That like after the Netflix show came out, it was one of the most played games on Steam for a. I've never played the game, but I really enjoyed the show. Yeah, I never really played the game just because I can't be bothered with RPGs. But um, I didn't really like the show. I thought it was a poor man's Lord of the Rings. Agree to disagree. Okay, cool. Uh, well, what are we going to be talking about today? We're revisiting our preseason over unders episode, which is amazing because if there's one thing that I love doing, it's revisiting past <laughs> mistakes. Um, and spoiler alert, I made a lot of those in these <laughs> predictions. So basically, uh, if you didn't listen to our preseason episode or you're a new listener joining us only recently before the season started we looked at the las vegas odds um for the over-unders for each team for example the milwaukee bucks were set at 57 so we went through and said do we think we're going over or under in terms of wins uh and so today we're going to go through and review them for all 30 teams we've got our initial um 
picks, whether we decided that we thought it was over or under. And with the abbreviated season, not every team has played the same amount of games. So what we've done is we've taken their win percentage and then extrapolated that out to an 82-game season and then taken that number as what they would finish with. So yeah. someone like New Orleans, it's probably not fair to because they were on and a roll and they schedule. had an easy schedule. But yeah. unfortunately, in the face of a global pandemic, Zion Williamson, <laughs> bad luck. In the face of a global pandemic, I think you'd rather settle with 36 wins than uh, maybe push for 42 or 40. Zion, if you wanted to get more than 36 wins, you shouldn't have missed half the season with a partially torn meniscus. Just yeah, my thoughts. How selfish of him. All right, well, let's... Uh, yeah, we'll let's... think about it next time. Yeah. <laughs> Bloody hell. Yeah, so I look ahead and look to uh, the global pandemic. So where are we starting with this? What's the, what's the order? So we're starting... We're going to go bottom to top because in going with the recent trend of this podcast, we just love talking about bottoms. <laughs> so we're going to start in the east and you know what that means we're going to start with the cleveland colin sextons <laughs> so what was the, it's more sexton talk <laughs> their preseason, their preseason <laughs> over under was 24 and they finished over an 82 game season with you guessed it 24 wins <laughs> Yeah, so um, you've picked the over, I've picked the under. We both get a draw for this. This is actually the one draw, um, the one like you know non-conclusive uh, number that we have for this whole entire, what's called the whole entire sort of game exercise. Exercise, but you know it's a it's a great place to start. Um, I've just got some notes that I had for when I my, like my initial thoughts heading into the season. And look, usually I would say why, like for example, for Golden State, we'll be talking about why they didn't hit their preseason win predictions. But Cleveland, you know, you can either say you're probably going to give the reason why they reached the heights of 24 wins. And I'm going to say that, look, you've got a rookie point guard in uh, Darius Garland. You've got a rookie coach who didn't even finish the season. You've got Colin Sexton, who plays like a rookie every single time he touches the ball. <laughs> uh, you've got an incentive to tank. and I've just I've I've got a few quotes. Uh, as I was re-listening to these episodes, episodes fourteen and fifteen, I like to grab some quotes. I don't know if you've done the same thing, but just <laughs> things that resonate with me. So something that Dante said here is quote: "If Garland is good, this team could be great." And I'm like, well, that's pretty crap in hindsight. And then also, quote: "24 is not a lot of wins, so that's why you hit the over because you're like 24." They've got Kevin Love, Tristan Thompson still there. Chetty Osman could be good. Um, and yeah, I was having a bit of a chuckle re-listening to this episode because while you weren't wrong, we you hit 24. Uh, you were very hopeful for the John B line <laughs> caps. Named and shamed. I can't believe I said that. <laughs> That's not even the worst one. Don't worry. We've got uh, some real was- juicy ones coming. Was there a time when people thought that Darius Garland was going to be good? Evidently, there must have been. But um, <laughs> he still yeah, can. Yeah, I mean, good. the only takeaway from this season is just like organizational dysfunction. Our mate Johnny B didn't even finish his rookie season as coach. Not yeah. only that, but like poor one out for Johnny B. Mm-hmm. He left a very cushy job at Michigan where he's getting paid a lot of money, universally respected as one of the best college coaches, won a national championship, had been to two national championship games this decade, left it for an NBA job, 
didn't even last the first year. And not only that, but he left money on the table to quit. It wasn't like, you know, um, it wasn't like they fired him. They're like, all right, we'll pay you out the rest of your contract. They mutually agree, which means he left money on the table. Anyway, the only thing that I want to talk about from this season um, is Colin Sexton. You guessed it. Yeah, it's probably bad. I probably had a bad idea leaving like a verbal paper trail of me trying to talk myself into <laughs> Colin Sexton, but it's kind of there's something about him. He's not good at most things, but he's a good scorer. <laughs> Twenty-one a game, forty-seven percent from the field, and thirty-eight percent from three. He's a second-year player, you know. If this ne- <laughs> me me for next season's over under preview show. If Sexton's good, this team could be great. I'm talking myself into it. <laughs> um, you know what? We probably don't even need to record Cleveland next season. I can probably just take everything you just said and then copy and paste it for next season. Um, whenever that may be. Well, yeah, with Colin Sexton, you said it yourself. He's not good at most things, but he can score. And if like, there's heaps of players in the NBA that aren't exactly well-rounded, sometimes they're just good at one specific skill. But when your skill is like the most visible skill and when your skill is in the same league as a guy like James Harden who can average 36 or like Luka Doncic who puts up crazy numbers every night and you know when your skill is something that everybody does and you're not even in like the tough you know tiers of your skill then that's an issue but yeah uh, I don't want to talk about Colin Sexton anymore can we move on (laughs) we can we can move on to Another team that I was wildly, wildly overexcited about, um, the Atlanta Hawks, mm. who had a preseason over under of 36 wins and ended up finishing with 25. So quite mm. a bit below. And I do, so I went over, you went under. Um, and I do recall me absolutely smacking the over. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly what you did. And I think now that we look back on it, that number 36 is so ambitious. And like the greedy bookmakers were thinking like the Deep 2 NBA podcast and all these people are starving for basketball content. It's the off season. Trey Young finished the season on fire. So let's just set some crazy number and people will go, okay, well, that's the number that we're thinking of. I'm high on them. I'm just going to double down and say they're gonna, that they're going to win 36 games. And was not to be um, one one major point that I said, uh, and one of the reasons why I really wanted to go under is that yes, Trey Young's really good, and he's proven in the second half of last season that he could be good. But this team had no backup point guard. They had Evan Turner as their one point guard, like on that good one or someone who you know, summer league hero. So they really had nothing once Trey sat, and it was evident because when Trey sat, they were like they went from the Trey was on the court to just you know. A very very bad team. I think the points per one hundred possession difference when Trey sat versus when he was on was something like negative fourteen. Um, so one of the biggest swings in the entire league amongst regular players really shows that when he was an offense unto himself. Um, I guess it was just really easy, at least on my part, to talk myself into this team because they had the blueprint mm-hmm. there when they got. The yeah. two wings that they picked up in the draft in Hunter and Reddish, who it seemed like would have very simple offensive roles and would be able to do things, do easy things, cut, yeah. spot up around Trey Young, <laughs> play that sort of thing. We yeah. didn't, we didn't expect John Collins to miss effectively half yeah, of his hurt. season. Um, 
you know, they've only played about 55 games. So him, um, you know, missing 25 is almost half of that. So you didn't get to really see them in full flight. Um, and then heard him miss a lot of time as well. So they, they were injured and um, they're a lot of, I mean, you know, it sounds elementary, but a lot of their players were just like worse than what they, what I was expecting them to be. Hunter and Reddish both kind of picked it up maybe that last five, 10 games of the season, but uh, they were downright terrible for most of it. So um, I think I fell in love with the blueprint in that I was yeah. like, all right, you've got Trey Young and Herder in the backcourt. That's perfect. And then you've got the two wings who can um, you know, defend multi-positionally and then Collins at the five. Um, and then like Damian Jones and Alex Lennon are like fine backup centers. I was like, yeah, dope. But the point mm-hmm. that you made at the start, which is, you know, when Trey Young sat, like where was this offense? Um, the fact that not only do they not have a good backup point guard, but nobody else on the roster on, yeah, on the roster had any playmaking skills. Yeah. Um, it wasn't like they could, you know, like they're like Boston and their backup point guard is Brad Wanamaker, but when, Kemba Walker sits, they just run more of the offense through Haywood or Tatum. It's mm. like they don't have that. It's, mm. you know, when when um, Trey Young sits, it has to go through, you know, Evan Turner. They tried they tried to experiment with Cam Reddish as a, you know, backup point guard early in the season and then quickly pivoted away. So, <laughs> yeah, um, it's, uh, it's, it's such a sexy number and such a sexy over-under. And Atlanta's going to be, it's super, super enticing again next season. Um, and maybe and Clint Capella will be healthy. So there might be like actual real reasons to pick them. But yeah, it was just like, I can completely understand why you picked it. Um, John Collins missing and this really does hurt the number as well. That might This might not be a true barometer of where Atlanta were because they're missing a big um, in a rotation. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of consoling you here, but I win this point. Next up, we have the poster boy of the treadmill of mediocrity. Another team who had a preseason over under right in that mid to high 30s range where you're like, oh, like, will they, won't they? It turns out that they won't. It's the Detroit Pistons. They had a 37.5 over under. Um, and over the course of the 82-game season, they have been extrapolated out to a juicy 25. Now, what's notable, other than the fact that they underperformed their expectation by 12.5 wins, is the fact that we both hit the over. Yeah. With Detroit, it was like when you're picking Atlanta and when you're picking the over for Atlanta, at least that was enticing. And you've got young players in the rookies and Trey Young and John Collins who could theoretically have a breakout season and just sort of pop. But with Detroit, they've literally brought back the whole band. They've added Tony Snell. They've added Derek Rose. Who Derek Rose had a great season, but you know those guys aren't going to move the needle. And from where they were the season before, which was early 40s and just scraped into the playoffs, there was not much potential to go to get better than that. So if we were picking the over, we're picking the over because Detroit's going to do the exact same thing. But obviously Blake Griffin missed time. We didn't actually pick Andre Drummond to get traded. And just the general malaise of this team, just treadmill of mediocrity and just had a bad season, unhealthy. And they've sort of decided to blow it up, which is completely fair enough. Well, they were 41 and 41 the season before, which was good enough for the eight seed. And I think we both just thought like, yeah, like you said, more of the same. Yeah. They've got Andre Drummond, they've got Blake Griffin and Derek Rose. How bad can they be? Mm-hmm. And what we saw was um, Blake turn in the worst season of his career, even when he was healthy. Um, and then 
Drummond was kind of like revealed, um, caught with his pants around his ankles, as it were, um, in the revelation that his play and his numbers don't necessarily fuel winning basketball because they were, I mean, they were downright terrible. The one sort of bright spot from this season was Christian Wood, Mm. who bounced around the league for, I think, four years. And then last year with the Pelicans got like a late season chance to show what he could do when kind of impressed and then Detroit picked him up mm. um, and sat on him for the whole season. Um, most of the season they were playing him obviously behind Blake and um, Drummond, but also behind Thon Maker and only in the last sort of like 10 to 15 games when you know Blake went down and they traded Drummond, did he really get the chance to show out? But he did. Mm. Um, in the last 10 games of the season, he only scored less than 20 twice and those games were 18 and 19 points Mm. so playing starters minutes he really showed what he can do which is a good uh fit for like next year but you know you mentioned rose before um those two are really the only bright spots Mm. on what was a terrible team i think we probably just bought into the idea that like it's a Dwayne casey led team yeah with established NBA talent like there's a baseline for how bad they can be and you know it's about the eighth or the ninth seed but what this really reveals is when you are on the treadmill of mediocrity and you're one of these middling teams year after year how close you are really from you know just inadvertently bottoming out like you only need one thing to go wrong which is like playing poorly and and then you know injuring himself and like your whole season's down the toilet yeah, yeah, and we haven't even mentioned starting point guard Reggie Jackson who got bored out. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, the Reggie Jackson era was fun, wasn't it? Yeah, man. Remember that first? Actually, his first game since he got traded from OKC, uh, he vomited before the game because he was so nervous. Classic, classic <laughs> Jackson. <laughs> All right, All right. moving moving on to the Eastern Conference's twelve seed. In rarefied air, it's everyone's favorite New York team, the New York Knickerbockers. Preseason over under of 27. We both hit the under. Lucky we did because they came out with 26. Yeah, this is uh, look pretty gross. I remember when we uh, spoke about this, we both didn't really want to talk about the Knicks. Uh, I said they've got every single power forward under the sun. Uh, should we move on? <laughs> <laughs> no, I want to talk about the Knicks. All right, go on. I talk love, I love the Knicks. My my preseason notes on this team was um, the fit of almost every player on this roster is dubious at best, uh, which is you know, you know uh, many months and moons later is still extremely true. Um, and I also was playing around with um, some advanced metrics on the NBA website. Um, and New York last season had the third, fourth, and fifth worst rated players um, in um, offensive rating, which was Alonzo Trier, Dennis Smith Jr., and Kevin Knox. Um, <laughs> anyone who read my most recent piece on the blog where I focused in part on the Knicks will know that uh, Dennis Smith and Kevin Knox got worse somehow from being two of the worst players in the league last year. Mm. Um, and pretty much... Every yeah, pretty much every player on the team like underperformed where they were supposed to be. David Fisdale got fired like ten or fifteen games into the season to be replaced by Mike Miller, and everyone's first response was, "Oh, good for him! I didn't know he was into coaching." And then it's like, "No, no, 
No, he's a 56-year-old bald man. Um, yeah, this is a bad team. And I, it makes me nervous because I really want RJ Barrett to be good. But playing in this environment, I think it's potentially impossible. It might be like a physical impossibility to turn out an appropriate NBA career for the third overall pick if you start it in New York. Man, I just... Now we can move on. We can move on, but I just really don't... Oh, nice little bird. Um, I just don't really care about the Knicks, man. They just, like... I don't care about the young players. I don't care about James Dolan. I don't care about, you know, getting Leon Rose and... What's his name? It's not Steve Smith, is it? The NAS guy. Steve Stout. Steve Stout, Steve Smith's cricketer. Um, look, come, come back and talk when you're good because you are literally the definition of the treadmill of mediocrity. Every single time Bobby... No, Paul, not, even, not even the treadmill. They're just, they're just the treadmill of bad. Yeah, every single time Bobby Porter and Ash Gibson share the court, I vomit a little bit. Yeah. Right. The last time the Knicks made the playoffs was the mellow season the t- um, when they won 54 games, 2012, mm-hmm. 2013. So... Um, you do not get the privilege of saying you're on the treadmill of mediocrity when you haven't made the playoffs in eight years. <laughs> All right. Tell that to the Hashtag just saying. All right. <laughs> moving on. We've got Michael Jordan's own Chicago Bulls preseason over under 30.5. They finished with 28. I hit the under. You hit the over. I seem to remember you being really high on Thaddeus Young. <laughs> As an acquisition that was going to really help push his team into contention. I know, I know. Defend yourself. I, I doubled down uh, on this as one of my best bets to hit the Chicago over. And so I've got a quote from myself here. And that was, you know, they've got that really strong big rotation with the three bigs in uh, Larry Markin and Wendell Carter Jr., Thaddeus Young, who's a versatile big that can play with either one of those at the four or the five. He was part of the reason why Victor Oladipo and all the wings that, um, on that Indiana team were able to get out and run because he's like so shifty. He's like he's a good positional defender. He can get his like uh, his what's hands and passing lanes. And uh, I remember a couple of weeks ago on this podcast, I apologised to everyone for hyping everyone up about the Chicago Bulls so much because I am ready to eat crow. Uh, I've got a quote here from myself that says they're a bit thin on the wing. So when Otto Porter, who's known for not playing basketball, doesn't play basketball because he's injured and the team is literally like, oh, hang on, our only small Ford-sized man is Chandler Hutchinson, right? That's an issue. And it's even more of an issue when Hutchinson is injured. (laughs) So (laughs) it's like, good on you, Zach Levine. You're the tallest shooting guard on the team. Uh, have fun playing with Tomas Sadaransky and Kobe White. So I also remember us having a conversation about the 2022 Eastern Conference Finals between Chicago and Atlanta. And while Chicago won more games than Atlanta, I think we're both comfortable in saying that Atlanta are probably closer to uh, the Conference Finals than the Bulls are. And a bit weird to say considering one's lost more games, but what there's not really many redeeming features on this Bulls team because even the young guys they have in Larry Markin and Wendell Carter either were injured for too much or didn't play too well when they were on the court. Yeah, well, Markin started the season injured and came back and was just absolutely terrible, mm. turning in the worst season of his young career. Carter, for the second straight year, was injured again. They had some success, obviously, you know, necessitated by injury. 
playing Chris Dunn kind of as like a wing rather than as an on-ball guard. Um, he's obviously undersized, but he's a defensive menace. So he was having some success there. And then he got injured. The coach is Jim Boylan. So like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I've got a quote. Chicago, what are, we, what are we doing? I've got a quote from you here that says, you know, their coach is Jim Boylan. The one thing you can say is they're going to be really fit when they come out of the offseason. <laughs> one thing you didn't predict is that they'll be calling a timeout when they're down 10 with 30 seconds to go. Hey, they never quit. Those boiling <laughs> pools, they never quit. Yeah, I think just, just to wrap it up, um, I, well, both of us did better on the Western Conference than the Eastern Conference, and you were really bullish on the Hawks. I was really bullish on the Bulls. They were probably two of our worst predictions this season. I'm, I'm pretty comfortable in saying Big that. Big misses. Big misses. So what I've learned from this, and I'm going to keep learning as we go through the pod, I'm never trusting the East ever again. So next <laughs> All my best bets are going to be in the Western Conference and the East. I'm just going to go with whatever the number says, whatever the general consensus is. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair, I'm my guy. Never doubling down on the Eastern Conference team again. <laughs> well, who's next? Then? Stick to what you know. <laughs> next, we've got the Charlotte Hornets. Again, we've gone from one Michael Jordan team to another Michael Jordan team. <laughs> Preseason over under of 24. They finished with 29, thanks in part to. Surprise packet, Devontae Graham. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, oh no, fortunately, no, unfortunately, oh, <laughs> numbers. Whoa, we both hit the under, we both hit the under here. I thought that Charlotte had a chance to be the worst team in the league mm. um, and they significantly outperformed worst team in the league status. Yeah. Um, yeah, almost hitting 30 with that 29. Yeah. Well, it's like, so what you said on the pod um, this is episode 14. You said that they have the chance to rival the 2011 Bobcats or whatever that year was when they won uh, you know, the, the smallest amount of games ever. And quote yeah. Dante Boffer, 24 is generous. To be fair, the only avenues that you and I saw them for winning, and I, we said this, is Nicholas Batum's in a contract year. He wants money. Cody Zeller is at least serviceable. Um, one of the young guys in Malik Monk or... Uh, Miles Bridges pops off and is like a go-to piece. But what we didn't see is Devontae Graham, a guy who played for the Greensboro Swarm the previous season and averaged like three points in the actual NBA when he did play in the handful of games. We didn't we didn't imagine Devontae Graham to be one of the best three-point shooters off the dribble in the league behind only, um, I think, you know, he's third in terms of three-pointers uh, taken and made behind James Harden and Davis Bertan. So for someone to come out of nowhere and do that, uh, fair enough that we didn't predict that. And fair enough that he probably bumped their number up a solid five wins here. Like he, he's a value add for a Charlotte team. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, he kind of counterbalanced Rosier by actually being a good <laughs> NBA player. And pass. Because um, yeah. when, when, when I was looking at this team preseason, I'm just thinking like, their wings are all young or bad. So Monk, PJ Washington, Miles Bridges, um, Rozier's bad, like their bigs are bad. And just looking at like, like where is the offense going to come from? Um, and yeah, I mean, Graham really stepped in and, you know, if it wasn't such an extreme year for most improved player candidates, like any other year, he'd probably be one of the favorites, you know, stepping in from averaging like, yeah, like, I don't even think it was three points. I think he averaged like one and a half last year or something. It was absolutely minuscule. 
only played a few games to stepping in and playing the whole season as a team starting point guard, averaging like 18 and eight or whatever he's averaging mm. and being third in the league and, you know, in made threes, it's a pretty big, pretty big effort from our old mate Devonte for some reason with an apostrophe at the end of his name. It's Why? Good. I don't um, know. So Devonte last season in 46 games and 14.7 minutes a game, averaged 4.7 points. There we go. And hit less than a three a game. Sorry, yeah, less yeah. than three. And now he's at three. So who saw that coming? Exactly. Um, I think we're both saw that coming. we're both well forgiven on that one. Yeah. All right. I think, next? I think we are. All right. Next up, we've got the Washington Wizards. Uh. Preseason over under twenty eight and a half. Actual win total thirty one. You hit the over. I hit the under. You have. You better send a Christmas card to Bradley Beal this year. Yeah, well, I think the one reason why I said they're going to go over is that literally because Washington said they're not going to trade Bradley Beal. So I'm like, look, teams have said that we're not going to trade a guy then turn around and trade him before. Um, and there, I remember listening to this and you saying that the reason that the reason you've picked the under is because they're going to trade Bradley Beal. Um, and also when we recorded it, we thought that John Wall was at least a chance to come back. So that factored into to my prediction. But yeah, they didn't trade Bradley Beal. I'm sending him a Christmas card. He has been damn good. 30.5 points per game, 46 from the field and 35 from three. Um, they were really bad for a lot of the season and then kind of like just before the All-Star break started turning it around to the point where you thought maybe that they would be able to make up a bit of that lost ground on the eight seed. Yeah. Um, they finished five and a half games back. So it didn't end up being that close, but there was that stretch where Bradley Beal had like, you know, 50 points in you know, two, you know two out of three games and, you know, was over 25 every night for, you know, a very, very long time. Um, it'll be interesting. He's not. An <laughs> we don't need to, we don't need to relitigate that. Um, but 30.5 points. I don't know. You can't, um, at some point, I don't know. I, I don't know. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, with Beal when Wall comes back because, I mean, do you think that he's proven himself to be a better player than John Wall? Like, do you think he's now the number one guy? I think he is, mainly just because John Wall hasn't played in over a year and anyone, if they take any that amount of time off basketball, coming back is going to be quite hard. Um, I don't know what they're like at full strength because... I actually used to really love watching John Wall at full strength. Like, remember that Atlanta playoff series? Sorry, in that Boston series before, and he stood up on the he stood up on the podium, and started like thumping his chest because he just hit some like yeah. crazy game winner. I used to really mm. love watching this team, um, and so I'm not going to answer your question because I don't know. But I'm really looking forward to what this team does next season because they've got Bradley Beal and whatever John Wall brings. I'm sure it's going to be better than Shabazz Napier at point guard, which. You know, it might actually not be. Um, and they've got they've got role players in Thomas Bryan and uh, Mortis Wagner and Isaac Bonga. And they've just got like, and Troy Brown, he can do something. I just like, I'm really interested to see what this team does next season. And sorry, Davis Bertans, I didn't even mention the second leading three-point shooter who was just blistering. And Scott Brooks is doing some really interesting things when it comes to this team because this team um, was 
third in the league in offensive efficiency through the first month, almost two months of the season. And for a team that was losing games to be third in offense is quite incredible. Like, yes, they were giving up every single point ever on the other end of the court, but you're a bad team. For you to be able to put together a strong and efficient offense with, it was Isaiah Thomas starting at the start of the season who eventually was just a throw in and trade to get bought out. And I think like Scott Brooks is, I think it's interesting. I think this is a bit of a redemption because he was running some really weird, like Mortis Wagner and Thomas Bryant pick and rolls. He was doing some really, really funky shit. And I'm really interested to see what he does with, um, I'm, I've got air quotes here, but a healthy team. So yeah, I'm keeping my eye on it. Yeah. I think my biggest question for this team going into next season is just like, not necessarily overall talent available on the roster because they do, especially when more comes back, they do have at least offensively some really, really good players. What I'm more worried about is like, how is his team going to fit together? Like, is Wall going to be like, oh, true. Like my sidekick is all of a sudden better than me and I need to take a step back and give Bill more time, like playing on the ball. Like, is that going to happen? You know, like Beal clearly needs the ball in his hands. You know, 30 points and six assists doesn't happen without you having the ball a lot. Yeah. Um, and, you know, John Wall, career average of over nine assists a game, obviously needs the ball in his hands. Plus the fact that he can't shoot. Yeah. Um, I just feel like the fit on the court between those two is nebulous. And the relationship between them, like, I don't know. You know, like we've had... Like John Wall is not necessarily over his like nine or ten years in the league proven himself to be like a really like cares about winning above all great teammate, like really selfless. Um, going back to the days when, you know, he signed a contract and then a year later Beal signed a contract that was more than his and John Wall was like, You reckon Beal's better than me? He's getting more money than me and they were like, No, 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 like it's literally just that the cap went up, John. It's John the John John said John the cap went up. No, we don't know. And he's like, you think he's better than me? <laughs> Reggie Jackson's getting paid more than me. Yeah. Um, anyway, John Wall's a bit of a loony tune and I am doubtful that he's going to like come back and be like, yeah, like the guy who I was always better than is all of a sudden better than me. I'm going to really buy in. Mm. We'll Look, see. I, I, I'm going to wait and see. I don't want to make any character judgments on a guy who has been a loony tune but hasn't played basketball in so long. And I think you just, I just want to wait and see, like I'm fully prepared for this to go full Kyrie in Boston and just blow up. And yet yeah, one of them forces their way out in the trade, but I want to wait and see because if John Wall can buy in that Bradley Beal's the best player and he takes a secondary role or even just, yeah, he wouldn't take a tertiary role, but if he can just take a backseat to the guy <laughs> that can shoot and just try and become like, you know, Dwayne Wade with LeBron. So he's just like got that inverse spacing where he's always cutting and he's just trying to do everything he can when he accepts that someone else is better than him. We'll find and see. We'll wait and see. But just imagine how good this team could be if everyone's happy and they're just, you know, clicking on all gears. And John Wall, if he starts to care about defense again, which he didn't just before the injury. Yeah, well, he has made an all-defensive team in his career. I can't remember what year it was, but he made one of them. So he's got it in him. Um, all right, we're going to move on from the Washington Wizards. Sean, are you ready? Because this, we're moving into the playoff stage. This is when it gets really sexy. Yeah. Coming up next, we've got 
the 38-win Orlando Magic buckle your seats because this, we're putting it into hyperdrive. They had <laughs> preseason over under a 40.5. They underperformed mm. uh, that. We both had the over thinking that they would be able to build on their 42 and 40 finish the year before um, where we were like, yeah, this team could definitely push, you know, for a bit more. Vooch was an all-star the year before. You've got Markel Fultz, Isaac's breakout year, Aaron Gordon, Mo Bamba takes another step forward. None of that really happened mm. uh, except for Isaac's breakout year, which was unfortunately curtailed by yeah. injuries. Uh, this team, yeah, kind of proving again uh, that Steve Clifford is capable of coaching teams um, into between 34 and 42 wins and really nothing else. Yeah, it's a bit... Like, I remember the reason why we both went over is because we said, what have they done wrong? Like, who have they pissed off to give them such a low number? Um, But it's just sort of the same argument with Detroit. Like, yes, you've got good players and you've got some young players that could grow into something, but you don't really have that top-tier talent that can take you to that next level. I mean, I think John Isaac is a little bit that. But, look, Aaron Gordon had another season where he didn't break out. Like, it seems like he's been on the verge of breaking out for four years now. Um, Mo Bumba proved to be one of the worst rotation bigs in the league. And look, if we'd known that Marco Fultz was going to play as well and as good as he, and as much as he did, we might've even like banged the over even harder because he's sort of come out and just solidified himself as a solid starting point guard. Um, it's not great, not bad. He's just doing fine. He actually helps their transition offense, which was lacking, but yeah, it's just sort of puzzling. And this is, you know, we talk about the treadmill of mediocrity. I think this is the test case for the treadmill of mediocrity. And it's a shame because I think they've got really cool jerseys. Yeah, the jerseys are okay. <laughs> you hate to see good jerseys jer- perform, well, perform poorly. <laughs> Pour one out. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think this team, yeah, they're, they're the... Treadmill, the, case, the test case for the treadmill of mediocrity, but they're also the test case for like bad decision making from the front office. And I'll point to two things. Uh, the first of which has been, you know, this is not going to be news to anyone who's been following the NBA in the last five years that they probably should have traded Aaron Gordon by mm-hmm. now. Um, you know, years and years and different. Uh, coaching staffs playing him as three when in reality like you know, NBA consensus has become that he would really really benefit from playing as a four yeah. where he can just um, stay in front of you know slow fours and then with his size and strength attack the bigger ones yeah. Um, he yeah he def- desperately needs a change of scenery and they just haven't been able to you know, put him in a position to succeed this year was one of the worst years of his career Um, And then the other one you alluded to it before is Bamba. Here's what not to do. Have a solid starting center who it turns out his ceiling was actually in a depressed all-star market. um, Possible for him to make an all-star team and drag you to 42 wins. Have that dude on your roster. Also have him positionally unable to play any other position than the five. And then with the sixth overall pick, draft another dude who positionally can't play anything other than the five sit him behind the dude who turns out he's an all-star and then 
the fucking cherry on top is <laughs> turns out that the guy that you drafted sixth overall is actually bad. <laughs> so it's like this, um, this plot twist ever. Yeah, biggest plot twist ever. It's legitimately like I don't know, is John Cleese from Monty Python circa nineteen seventy like running the front office here? Is this some is this a bit? <laughs> Like, yeah, I don't get it. I think, and, <laughs> Have and I missed back something? Back on top of that, they sign Al Farouk Aminu, who you know could play a little bit of five, plays the four along with fifty other guys here. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It was it was tough seeing John Isaac go down. He he flashed um, some really really good potential. He was you know probably going to make an all defensive team um, with you know just that he was I think among the league leaders in blocks and mm. swiping probably one and a half steals a game like some real elite numbers for mm. a big man. Um, you talked about Fultz before it was actually really nice to see him out of the way but also performing well and with that herky-jerky style that everyone fell in love with a few years ago like slithering into the lane and just getting a layup to fall or um, initiating something on the fast break and throwing a lob to Isaac or Gordon when they could get out there. But I mean, yeah, it, it's just another kind of example of where a team like the Magic or the Pistons kind of can be when things go right. But through a combination of their own decision making and their financial imperative from ownership to stay in the playoff hunt rather than bottoming out, they they put an artificial ceiling on. Um, on themselves and we've seen where the what the maximum amount of wins you can get if Nikola Vucevic is your best player and it's probably 42 which they got the year before yeah um yeah. pretty yeah. sad so <laughs> let's let's yeah just definitely on. no one wants to yeah hear let's it. move on <laughs> so we're moving on to one of the sexiest picks mm-hmm. for a deep playoff run pre-season the Brooklyn Nets with a pre-season over under of 47. They are another team that grossly underperformed. They hit 38 wins and both of us enthusiastically smacked the over. Um, so neither of us gets points there. Yeah. Um, uh, with no Durant, we were still pretty optimistic about it, but um, it turns out that uh, adding Kyrie to the team was difficult and he missed a lot of time um, this season through injury. Yeah, I mean, I, I had said that they. It was great that they didn't have to give up a lot of present value in terms of draft picks, or you know, through a trade to get Kevin Durant and Kyrie. Obviously, KD wasn't going to play, but to get Kyrie and all you really had to get a give up in like actual players was Rondé Hollis Jefferson and Alan Crabb, who you actually turned around to get um, Torian Prince with. So it was like you haven't really given up anything. You've just added this quote superstar and. Yeah, look, the Kyrie brought the Kyrie curse with him. He was, again, a bit of a weirdo. We sort of didn't really touch on the fact that DeAndre Jordan was here because we're like, well, you know, he was a combo deal with KD and Kyrie. But by him coming there, him wanting to start, him signing because he's friends with Kyrie and KD, um, sort of just took minutes away from Jared Allen, which Kenny Atkinson, the coach at the time, um, was said, well, no, I'm going to play my better player more. I'm going to play him. I'm going to start him. Um, and then doesn't it feel weird that just before this whole coronavirus pandemic, Kenny Atkinson got fired, which is something that hasn't got a lot of coverage. It did at the time because it was big news, but obviously coronavirus has overtaken it. So, look, this, this guy lost his job because he wasn't starting DeAndre Jordan because DeAndre Jordan is 10 years older than Jared Allen and not even better than him. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm talking about stuff that's irrelevant. Uh, Kyrie... 
didn't play much. Um, Spencer Dinwiddie is awesome, and the Brooklyn Nets just didn't have that same magic that they did a season prior. Yeah, well, I mean, Kenny Atkinson's demise was almost entirely political. Mm. Obviously, they didn't hit those heights that they expected to hit uh, last season, but that you know, you got like like 10, 15 games out of Kyrie. Mm. Um, and you know, in, in order to get him, you traded away your best player from last season, D'Angelo Russell. So you know, some regression was to be kind of expected if you um, give a team you know, 15 games of a better player but take away 55 of you know, an all-star the season before. Yeah. He, um, played, played Allen and Jordan pretty much the same amount of minutes throughout um, the whole season. So played most of every game with one of them on the floor. They combined for 47 minutes a game. So they, they always had a traditional big out there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when, when DeAndre wasn't playing, um, it really riled up Kyrie and KD. Uh, and, you know, when you're too high-priced, free agent acquisitions say that they're unhappy and mm. what's going to happen. Is ownership going to choose between the coach or the or Kyrie and KD? Like, I don't know. Kyrie, yeah, he, he played really well this year. He's had a career high in points by like yeah. a couple of points. So, um, but he didn't play enough games and, and you're right. He did kind of bring the Kyrie curse with him where he just has well and truly proven maybe to be the Tom Cruise of the NBA universe where he's just a, just a fucking wacko and everyone's like, wait, is he serious? Is he serious? Wait, no, surely. No, is this, is this whole, is yeah. this a joke? Flat Earth. And no. Everything. And then it, yeah, it, it turns out that it actually wasn't a joke. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Catch me here. Catch me here next season, aggressively hitting the nets over. That's more KD than Kyrie being healthy though. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. All right. So moving on, we're going to hit, I think, unequivocally, probably the biggest disappointment of the season in the East, the Philadelphia 76ers. They, yeah. man, and it makes me sick to say it, but they were the four seed with like four games left and they went one and three over their last four games and they dropped to the six seed, which as we all know, you're looking at the best home team in the league and one of the worst road teams. So the fact that they now have to go to Boston in the playoffs instead of having the heat or paces come to them, mm. it just really makes you sick. Anyway, uh, they had a preseason over under of 54.5, which would have been more than they had won in the previous two years with a healthy Embiid and Simmons. Uh, but we both thought absolutely hit the over enthusiastically and they finished with 49. So that's the third straight year where they've been in the 52, 51, 49 range. So they really haven't been able to take that next step and solidify themselves as an actual, you know, bona fide championship contender. Mm, yeah, it's it was quite disappointing because there was a lot of buzz heading into the season that, the the 76ers had signed away one of the best players against them in our Horford and they could play one of those super-sized lineups with Horford, Embiid, um, Tobias Harris, Ben Simmons at the one and whoever you slotted in at two is, is whoever's there. Um, and obviously Al Horford has sort of had a bit of age-related decline. He hasn't really fit well with either superstar at the same time um, and that's that's fine if, if one of them's injured and we saw Ben Simmons have heaps of fun when Embiid wasn't there and then vice versa, but very disappointing and I completely understand why we both hit the over, but look, 
we were wrong. We didn't see this team just not gelling. Yeah, well, we also didn't see Al Horford being old and bad. <coughs> mm. um, yeah, so my in my notes, you know, preseason, I had uh, Horford functions as Embiid injury insurance. So should JoJo go down, the team shouldn't lose too many games. And Horford looked for most of the season washed. Yeah. What helped you? You mentioned it before. What helped him when Embiid went down for a few weeks was just turning Simmons into the center. Uh, and just saying we're going to run. You still run the offense, but we're going to um, get you the ball inside with space rather than with Embiid posting up on the block. Mm. Uh, and that allowed them to put four shooters around Simmons rather than three shooters and Embiid. Uh, so, yeah, the fit looks better with them separated. Like They looked really good with Embiid and no Simmons because they just went to Embiid every time on the post and he's one of the most effective post scorers in the league. Mm. Um, probably, probably. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but if I had to hazard a guess at the top three, it would be in some order: Lamarcus Aldridge, LeBron James, and um, Joel Embiid. So, with either of them playing as the lone big man, they were awesome. But just so inconsistent this season. And um, Tobias Harris, you know, I still uh, am quite high on Toby, but he yeah. didn't prove. I was, I think, I forget where it was. But I, where I was listening to, I was listening to a podcast and someone pointed out that Tobias Harris is a really good third option. And when the first two options is Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, great. But when they go down and it's just him, he doesn't step up to become the number one option. He's still the third option. He doesn't have that gene in him where he can click over and be like, all right, cool. It's my time. I'm going to get 30. He's like, I'm going to pour in 19. Yeah. And everybody else, you know, it's like Shake Milton, you come on, do your thing, dude. Matisse Tybal, you average one three a game, but come on, we're gonna need something from you. He's like, I'm gonna do my thing, I'm gonna do the same thing every night, regardless of who's around me. And in some instances when there's a settled ecosystem, that's super valuable. But when players are going down and the fits all over the joint, you kinda need someone who's prepared to step up like, you know, a little bit more. Um Simmons was really good this year. Simmons is, uh, he was an all-star. He'll probably make an all-NBA team and he's definitely going to make one of the all-defensive teams. So anytime you can hit all those three boxes, that's a really successful season. Um, But like looking forward, I don't know how you can back this team in for more than 50 games next season without some revelation in how they're going to pair and beat Simmons. Yeah, it's, yeah. And El Horford is getting paid... Well, his contract was four years, one hundred nine million. So he's getting paid, he's getting paid quite a bit of money. He's already on the wrong side of thirty, and he hasn't proved that he can play with both the superstars at the same time, who are obviously going to get preference. It's true. It's true. All right, moving on to the Midwest, we've got the Indiana Pacers preseason forty eight point five over under. They scraped across with <laughs> forty nine wins. You hit the over, I hit the under. Mm-hmm. Um, you got the over and you didn't even need to rely on Victor Oladipo. Please, Oracle, tell us how you saw DeMarcus <laughs> Sabonis' emergence into a legit all-star. Tell me how I saw that extra half game where you couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, when I actually look at my notes, what I was saying was um, that uh, Victor Oladipo will be coming back and he is the Lord and Saviour. He can, he can help this team. Um, what I didn't see is that with a greater role, <coughs> DeMontis Bonus can become that all-star. And, you know, just filling in what Oladipo gives you with Malcolm Brogdon, who had quite a breakout season, and Jeremy Lamb, who was 
<coughs> oh, sorry. Um, and Jeremy Lamb, who was, you know, quite a serviceable guard, they sort of filled in what he brought, just the, you know, filling it in by committee. And obviously I'm, I'm talking from a position of strength here that I won the over under, but look, I won by half a game and I was much more happier with Oladipo coming back, uh, you know, just before Christmas, but he came back a little bit after that. And that sort of threw my prediction out the window, but luckily I scraped in. Yeah, I mean, by the narrowest of margins. The only enduring memory that I have of Oladipo's season, other than like being generally bad, was uh, in his. I think it was his first game back where he was like zero of seven from three, and then ended up one of eight. And that one of eight was a shot that he hit to send the game to overtime, proving that he has ice in his veins and wasn't going to miss a beat and then it turns out that once you miss over a year with a quad injury it's actually really hard to come back and be good but yeah this team relied on Sabonis so much and all of the stuff that we talked about preseason was Twin Towers experiment they're intending to play Turner and Sabonis heaps early on it wasn't going well they they really stumbled out of the gate the first 10 or 15 games they were uh, i don't think they were 500 through through 10 games so yeah. uh, they righted the ship quite well um but it was clear uh that you know one of them one of the bigs in sabonis or turner had to take a step back it was it was turner that ended up doing it so yeah, yeah. i think this team's kind of like the I don't know how to phrase it, but they're kind of like the like the cute cousin of the Eastern Conference playoff teams in a way that like Weird. people would people are looking like you bet if this is where the season sits and the Celtics are welcoming the Philadelphia 76ers to Boston, they are sweating, they're nervous, that like Jason Tatum is like, I have to deal with Ben Simmons for 40 minutes a game for you know seven games. Um, they're not sweating like that with the paces. I feel like everyone in that, you know, top six like wants to get the paces in the second round. They're like, please, you know, we Malcolm Brogdon, bring it on. <laughs> so yeah. Um, they they never really have had have been able to convince people that they, you know, are a threat to take a playoff series. So merit to them. A very good season turning in, you know, almost fifty wins, but yeah, I don't think that they were quite. I still lack it. And this is the fucking thing about the fucking Sixers is that <laughs> I'm sitting here and we said everything we just said about the Sixers, but I'm like, I still think that they're significantly better than the Pacers. Yeah. You know, yeah. The, the allure of the Sixers just like, fuck, like they are such a talented team and they did everything wrong <laughs> compared to the Pacers who were not that talented but did everything right. And they've ended up in the same place with exactly the same win total. But I'm just like, oh, the Sixers, it's so much sexier. Well, what, anyway. Derek, what Derek Brodner of um, The Athletic says is that if this Philly team, whenever we do the playoffs and however we do it, if this Philly team makes the finals, it is a test case and like the go-to sort of yeah experiment to say that the regular season is irrelevant because Philly, as you're saying, has a higher ceiling. And if they can just flick it on, and make the finals and just get really hot um, as a team uh, after struggling <clears throat> and having such an awful um, regular season. That's just like, well, why are we playing the games? Like that is a test case for a shorter season when it is not even indicative of your playoff success. I, yeah, I don't know. It's tough because you really would want to see the sixes and like we're a bit biased obviously because Ben Simmons is there and we're, yeah. um, you know, fans of, of the man and want to see him succeed. But it's like, you really would rather see a, a series involving the Sixers. 
Mm. Um, but that being said, like if they can turn the switch on, they've given no indication this season that they can. You know, you can go back to last season and say, uh, you know, they were four bounces away from you know beating the beating the eventual world champions. You can go back to the season before and say they won the last fifteen games of the regular season and they stormed into like the three seed. You know, they've clearly got the ability to hang with the best teams in the league and push. Um, but this season they just you know didn't put any of it together and they've got so much of their cap tied up in high price players that it makes it hard to fill the edges around and when when the fit is nebulous or like someone like Horford you know, underperforms but you don't have anyone except Norvell Pell to come in and you know like relieve him it makes it a bit difficult um, <laughs> I love hearing the phrase um, oh actually I love hearing both those phrases when Norvell Pell comes in and also hearing a player come in to relieve someone, um, that's just really charming. <laughs> also, I'm still trying to, I'm still really trying to wrap my head around what the fuck you meant by he's like that cute cousin. Um, you don't have to explain it if you don't want to, but I would love you. No, I just mean like, I just mean like everyone else, like everyone else in the top six views everyone else in the top six as a threat. Like the Bucks don't want the heat yeah, in the yeah. playoffs. They What's also don't want the Celtics. The Raptors don't want the 76ers. They also don't want the heat, you know? Mm. Everybody else is like, oh, I like the Pacers, you know? 49 wins, cute. Like no one is like, oh man, we can't handle Brogdon and Sabonis in the playoffs, you know? Okay. Everyone's looking at them like, oh, it's sweet. They think that they're as good as us, but really okay. they're not. Everyone else is like, Dying to get the paces. All right, all right, that clears it up. Um, who's yeah. next then? The next team is the four seed and the paces round one opponent, the Miami Heat, mm. who are in pole position to get um the three seed, uh, mm. and then much like the seventy sixers, pissed it all the way at the end of the season, losing. I think the Heat, the Heat lost. They lost to tons of games. Yeah. Yeah, they lost a couple of hiccups. They lost to the Kings as well. Um, anyway, it was a huge season for the Heat. They played really, really well. They played much better than I thought they were going to, and evidently you as well, because we both went under on their preseason 43.5 yeah. uh, win total, and they ended up smashing it, uh, rolling through to 52 wins. Yeah, well, I even picked Bam for most improved player. That was one of my predictions. But I picked mm. him for most improved player just also because of opportunity and him just naturally growing. I didn't expect him to have like this sort of Jokic jump where all of a sudden he's a facilitator and you look around and go, oh, hang on, the guards are really good cutters and really good spot-up shooters and the Duncan Robinsons of the world and the Kendrick Nunns who we didn't even know before this. Um, and all of a sudden he's the nucleus of this offense that is just like incredible so yeah i picked him to win most improved player but i'm not going to claim the fact that i thought he could be the next Jokic. and like not saying that he is the next Jokic, but he's that sort of mold of plays that sort of playmaking big where he is the the 1a and the 1b even on a team with jimmy butler and yeah i mean i also picked the under just because i'm in in the same vein of you and john wall um i don't i think jimmy's a bit of a weirdo and i don't like guys that are just going to sort of shout their way out of a team, which he had done for, didn't really do for Philly, but he had, you know, it was, wasn't the greatest of terms to end on Philly. He sort of kicked his way uh, on the way out the door there. And obviously everything that happened in Minnesota and Chicago before that. Yeah. I also felt that it was difficult to get behind a Jimmy Butler led team and didn't, yeah, you picked, you picked him for pre, for most improved. I didn't say, Bam coming whatsoever. You know, in my estimation before the season started, he was 
just a you know a fairly run of the mill rim rolling big man um and yeah he's kind of come out of nowhere to prove that you know uh he can really run the offense uh i think he's averaging over five assists mm. per game which is you know it puts him in the top two or three uh for centers he yeah he was really fucking good and so we were looking at like you know jimmy butler and a bunch of like who <laughs> and yeah, then it turns Robinson. yeah and then it, yeah like you said it turns out that Kendrick Nunn's really good Tyler Hero's really good Duncan Robinson found him from you know literally nowhere um, and then you know Bam taking that jump to being an all-star uh, level player Miami were really really good and I think had if I'm not mistaken one of the best home records in the league they finished 27 and 5 yeah. Um, the losses at the end of the season really derailed that. But for a second there, it was looking like uh, you know they were going to be out there with the Sixers in terms of having one of those truly elite home records. So they they are a team that like you know talking about what we were, were before with the Pacers, like no one wants to see them in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. Moving on to the three seed in the Eastern Conference, we've got the Boston Celtics on the back of Kemba Walker. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Gordon Haywood, they surged past their preseason 49.5 um, win expectancy and finished with 55, putting them among the East's elite. And we were both lucky enough to have hit the over. Hmm. Do you remember what you said when we first started talking about this team uh, all the way before the season? No, I have no idea. You said if Kemble Walker is 80% as good as Kyrie was as a player and 20% of what Kyrie is as a person, um, this team will be better. Yeah. And that was so true. <laughs> yeah, it was. It's like if you could take 80% of Kyrie's play and like almost none of the absolute sheer lunacy of everything surrounding him as an individual, mm. what would happen? And it turns out that what would happen is that that player would be the starting point guard on the Eastern All-Star team and your team would win 55 games. Mm, yeah, exactly. And uh, another big point that I had was that Gordon Hayward cannot be as bad as he was the season prior. And for him to come in, like obviously he was better at the start of the season. He was playing quite well. Uh, then he so he got that hand injury, the nerve injury, similar to what Steph had. And then since he came back, mm. he back to his old sort of unconfident self, which is fair enough. His body has let him down quite a lot in the last couple of seasons. But just going back to that Kyrie point, um, there was a lot of buzz with Jason Tatum, just what we now know as the end of the season. And Jason Tatum was absolutely killing it, putting up 30 points left, right and centre. And something that has happened with Kemba Walker um, is that I think if Kyrie was still in this team, I don't believe that Kyrie being the point guard of the team would seed the fame and seed the winning um, and seed the ball over to Jason Tatum as Kemba Walker has because Kemba's very happy to be that guy who takes the step back in college basketball and just takes the game winner. But he's also, you know, he, he's not going to have a, a bitch to the media about not being the 1A and the alpha of this team when someone like Jason Tatum just absolutely runs the show and does Jason Tatum things. Yeah, well, I mean, even halfway through the season, we were talking about Jason Tatum on the pod. Mm. Um, where, you know, pointing out that, yeah, like, it, it's great. At the time, he was averaging around 20 points a game. 
Mm. Um, but we were pointing out that the same old you know, inconsistencies and kinks in his offensive game are still there. Like, yeah, he's a really smooth scorer. He can score from all three levels of the court um, you know, in bunches. But really, his drive to get to the rim wasn't there. And he was settling for you know, fadeaways and post-ups and mid-range twos way more often than you'd be comfortable with. Mm. Uh, and around... January, like the start of the year, he kind of just decided that he was going to diversify his offensive approach more. He started taking more threes, started getting to the rim more. And then the strange thing that happened once he had the confidence to actually go to the rim over and over as he started hitting more. Um, so his efficiency is actually down mm. from pretty much everywhere still on the whole, but the um, compared to like, you know, the previous two seasons, but, um, in a, a massively increased role, he averaged yeah. 23 and a half points for the season. And really, I think the last three months proved that he could be the number one scorer on a, a really good team. And that's not even to mention you know, Jalen Brown, who um, was in the running for that last all-star spot, didn't end up getting it, but still posts very, very healthy averages of over 20 points a game with six boards, um, shooting almost 50% from the field and almost 40% from... Um, Three, whilst playing on one of the two best offensive players uh, on the other team, he can defend yeah. guards, he can defend wings, he can even slide up and defend smaller bigs. Like He's a really versatile dude and looking forward to the playoffs if they end up happening. I mean, like there's no team in the league that can throw out a better wing rotation than these guys. It's like you're playing as Milwaukee. Well, you've got someone to guard Giannis, you've got someone to guard Middleton, you've got someone to guard, you know, Name like name another, you know name another team. They've got mm. Jimmy Butler covered. They've got Kendrick Nunn covered. They've got Tyler Hero covered. Mm. Um, Siakam covered. You know, like Tatum can take Siakam and Brown can take Lowry. The combinations are just endless. Mm. Um, and then that's you know I haven't even you talked about Cambridge, you talked about Hayward. I haven't even mentioned them. You know, like I think they have a really really high ceiling, and I think their ceiling is if everything breaks right. Um, pushing the Bucks to you know probably six or seven in the conference finals. I don't think yeah. ultimately they'll be able to get past them, but like that's very much where they could end up. Mm, yeah, yeah, exactly. Let's let's keep moving. Let's move on to last season's champions, Toronto Raptors. Uh, they lost. Day. Yeah, they lost <laughs> arguably the best player in the world. He's a two-time <laughs> champion, two-time Finals MVP, two-time Defensive Player of the Year. He just left the team last year. They got no recompense whatsoever oh, for him. They got Rondo Hall-Jefferson and Stanley Johnson. <laughs> they got absolutely nothing in return for losing <laughs> the best player in the world. Um, you know, of course, who I'm talking about, it's Kawhi Leonard. Mm. Uh, the preseason over-under was set at 45 for them, which I thought was going to be generous. And they ended up smashing it. Um, posting almost 60 wins, topping out at 59. You hit the over, I hit the under. Please gloat. I'd love to gloat, uh, and I will. So your whole reason for <laughs> them to go under was that, well, you were actually, so you were questioning if they would make the playoffs. And it was because yeah. Kyle Larry is a trade candidate, Mark Gasol is a trade candidate, uh, Serge Ibaka, pretty much everything not called Pascal Siakam was, was a trade candidate. And you and I were joking, saying that, yeah, Fred Van Vliet got hot in the finals. He obviously had a baby boy, um, got hot. And then, you know, everyone was making jokes that ever since he had had a kid, he was just blistering throughout the playoffs. Um, and you were saying, oh, you know, I wonder if he should just, like, figure out how to have a kid. I mean, not figure out how to have a kid, but how to time having a kid so that 
just as the season starts, but then also have a kid just as you're entering the playoffs. So he can like ride a hot streak at the start of the season, ride a hot streak entering the playoffs, maybe win, win a couple of games in the playoffs. Um, but apparently that, uh, that baby boy hot streak lasts for longer than just a couple of games. Uh, and we actually didn't know the expiry date on it. And Fred Van Vliet has been one of the uh, better guards in the league. Like obviously he's not, killing the world with, with he's not like a, a go-to scorer that is Pascal Siakam who I haven't mentioned yet but he's been a really tough defensive uh, good shooting guard just like Kyle Lowry who's also had a good season when he's been able to play and he is like he is the epitome of one of those shifty veterans I don't know if you've seen the the video by coach Daniel who is this guy who makes YouTube videos uh, just pretty much talks about basketball and he highlighted for one episode just everything that Kyle Lowry does and a lot of the stuff that Kyle Lowry does is just set illegal screens, grab jerseys as you're going up for rebounds, like fail the shit out of um, opposition players when the when the refs aren't watching, and just heaps of Kyle Lowry stuff. And that was enough to cobble together the second best team in arguably the league, or you know, definitely in the Eastern Conference. And like, we're not gonna we we don't think that they've got the same. I'm speaking for you here. We don't think that they have the same ceiling as the Bucks or maybe the Celtics when it comes to winning enough to get to the Eastern Conference Finals or the Finals. But they've proven in the regular season that they can win games and they're, they're the defending champs for a reason. Yeah, I think the number one thing that Kyle Lowry does is just have the biggest butt in the <laughs> And he just, he just uses it like, you know, he, yeah, he grabs jerseys, he pushes people out of the way, but he also just, you know, <laughs> you're running, you're running down the court, refs not looking like you were just going to get like a hip and hip wow. right to the ground. He's dummy thick. Um, yeah, he's dummy thick. I mean, yeah, we talked about, you know, this team possibly being the victim of a fire sale if Masai Ujiri decided that he didn't yeah. want to trade everyone. That didn't end up happening. And the kind of natural regression from, various players that you talked about where we were expecting Gasol and Lowry to be a year older and Van Vliet got hot but can't sustain it. That didn't happen. And everyone just kind of stayed themselves from last year. Yeah. Uh, Siakam took the next step as like their alpha dog, you know, um, all-star starter kind of vibe. And yeah, Nick Nurse is, I think, solidified himself as one of the three or four best coaches in the league. Yeah. Um, and even their like low wattage um you know, pickups, you talked about Rondé Hollis Jefferson, who they converted into a five. Um, he you know, ended up giving them some valuable minutes and just a bit of, you know, he's not setting the world on fire, but a bit of positional flexibility. Um, who's the who's the, um, the dude who they pulled from nowhere who averaged like 14 a game for them? Um, Matt Thomas. He's the, he's the, no, no, he's a, he's a wing. Um, oh, yeah, Terrence Davis. Yeah. Yeah, Terrence Davis. Like, <laughs> Terrence Davis. Like no, no one else is picking up Terrence Davis. At least no playoff team. Like maybe he could have gone to the Hornets and put up fifteen a game, but no one's I giving him the opportunity. Yeah, no one's giving him the opportunity. You know, like the like the um, Raptors did, and um, Norm Powell having a bit of a resurgence. The ecosystem there is just quite conducive to finding and developing yeah. good players. Yeah, and Similar another, to, another name there is Chris Boucher as well, the center who's, I think he's like 28 years old. Like he doesn't have much room to grow, but he's been a rotation yeah. big when Marc Gasol's been injured. Yeah. Um, it's Boucher, by the way. I don't want to you know, call you out on your podcast. But <laughs> what did I say? Boucher. Oh, really? That's, uh, that's yeah. pretty bad. He's, right. the, um, last, he's last season's G League MVP, so throw some respect on his name. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, he had a couple of he had a couple of like twenty plus point performances and you know like twenty and tens throughout the season. So do pluck from nowhere who's kind of like you know contributor on a good team. That's kind of what this um, organization's mo is. Cole's Let's move on to. <laughs> Let's move on to the last team that we're going to talk about today, which is the Milwaukee Bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a preseason over under set at 57, which I uh, thought was laughable. Still do. They smashed it um, for yeah. a while there. They were on a 70 win pace, but um, with a few losses towards the tail end of their schedule, they maxed out at 67 wins, mm-hmm. which still puts them in the top like 30 all time teams, I think. Um, for um, you know, total wins in a season, one of the best ever, and we mm-hmm. both hit the over gleefully. Yeah, um, there's not much to say here. We both really like the team. One thing that I should mention, obviously, there's not much to gloat about here because we both picked the over. But one thing that I should mention is I said they're going to be a buyout destination, and they're going to get the best uh, players on the buyout market. They signed Marvin Williams, arguably the best player on the buyout market, and yeah, I'm done bragging. I'm, I'm not really gonna. Not really going to take much away from picking the best team in the league to be the best team in the league. Here's, it turns out this is a good strategy for building a defense. Get the player with the first, second, and third best at rim um, defending numbers and then make them sit in the paint uh, and build your defense around that. Turns out that if you don't want people to shoot... You could have really curved there and said what, what you just said. And then surround him with Giannis Antetokounmpo, and then you've just you've started your building your argument for Brook Lopez as defensive player of the year. Well, I mean, Giannis is one of I haven't said put Giannis around him because Giannis is you know I said one, two, and three. Guess which one he is? He's <laughs> one, the best at rim defender in the NBA, um, allowing absolutely it's sub forty percent the. Yeah number that he um allows and then the lopez twins brooke and robin second and third um yeah this is a the one thing that i you know the one thing that i had had a, a bit of nerves about was just that they lost brogdon and they replaced him with matthews and Corba. and i was worried that um those players wouldn't be able to uh not only replicate what brogdon had done but a stay on the court and b be good it turns out that Corva was a little bit washed, but Matthews not at all. He was one of the yeah. best defenders in the league this season among yeah. shooting guards. Um, everyone on this team defends, even Chris Middleton, who has um, a reputation as like a finesse player offensively and mm-hmm. um, not necessarily someone doing the dirty work. Even he has been, um, with this coaching staff, an above-average defender. Um yeah, another good team building tactic is have the MVP um, and <laughs> arguably, in my opinion, the defensive player of the year on your team um, and kind of figure the rest out. Yeah, when you've got a dude GM, who's averaging. Those stupid GMs who are yeah. doing it wrong by not signing the MVP or not drafting it. Yeah, well, I mean, it's like you would have. How long has the NBA been around? These guys haven't figured it out. <laughs> Fuck. Uh, yeah, having a dude on your team who averages 36 points per 36 minutes. Um, and you know, couples that with like 17 rebounds and seven assists and a couple of steals and blocks per 36. Mm. That is a good place to start building your team. Wesh. All right. Well, that is the Eastern Conference. We're going to do the West next time. So when you hear our dulcet tones, um, you'll know that it's time to start with little teaser the worst team in the West, the Golden State Warriors. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, 
I really can't wait to get into that. <laughs> <laughs> Me either. All right. That's all from us. Thank you for listening. Have a fantastic quarantine. Thank you.